As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 178 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, 178 hits for Buster Posey in 2012. That was a pretty good season. You remember that season? Well, let's see. That would be going back exactly one decade in my mind. And he would have been the National League MVP that year. So yes, you could say that it was Buster's best year of his career, unless you really examine last season, and maybe you can make a case for that too. But uh, Buster Posey, good giant. I think so. That's a non-controversial take, right? Yeah, he was all right. He was all right. I, th- I think the most impressive part of that 2012 season was that, uh, you know, obviously he ended the season the year before in the injury. And the question was more like, how much can the Giants get out of him? Can they get like a good player? You know, is he going to be good right away? Can he play 100 games? That sort of thing. And then <laughs> one of the greatest catching seasons of all time ending in a championship. Uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty remarkable turnaround. Yeah, and also remarkable is that was the first of his two comeback player of the year awards and then he goes and retires after winning the second one. So not not a lot of people had the Buster Posey career arc. That was uh I, I don't think we're going to see anything quite like that again. Good giant, good giant. But we're not here to talk. I mean, we usually are here to talk about Buster Posey, but specifically, <laughs> we are here to talk about the 2022 Giants. And uh, when I wrote uh, after the game on Tuesday, uh, or no, it was on Monday night. When I wrote after the game on Monday night, it was a lament of just that being a dull Giants Padres loss. Just we've seen it before. The bats aren't clicking. They aren't getting the hits with the runners in scoring position. And it was just sort of like a, oh, dear goodness, this is not the baseball you were hoping for. This is, this is not what you were thinking about in the winter. And, and oh, you know, someday there will be uh, news stories and fun baseball to follow. And my goodness, did the Giants deliver. Like the next night, they unfurled like all of the 
their storylines and start throwing them at you specifically, uh, hitting you in the face and about uh, the torso. So uh, what's going on with the Giants? It seems like there's a lot going on. Yeah, so I was actually talking to someone in the front office prior to Tuesday night's game, and I was looking at my phone and and noticing that Seiya Suzuki had just hit his second homer of the day uh, for the Cubs and that he'd swung and missed once all season thus far. And the Giants offense obviously had been, uh, you know, not not really going at full full trucking downhill steam yet. And it's a ridiculously early sample. And that was precisely what this front office person said to me, which is, come on, don't be ridiculous. It's a ridiculously small sample. He said the word ridiculous probably six times <laughs> in the span of the conversation. But I said, seriously, Giants fans are going to start getting mad, especially the better this guy plays because they, they wanted him. And uh, and 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 I said, the way that you make this not a story is by scoring runs. And then, boom, they went and scored 13 runs. And, and obviously, uh, we're not just going to talk only about the fact that the Giants offense broke out because there was quite a lot of interest in how exactly they broke out and when they broke out and um, what they what broke out after the game so i don't know where you want to start i don't either because it's just like oh, all right first let's just say congratulations to Alyssa knack and i i was really impressed with uh the giants response to it. it was like yeah that's just like it's great it's historic but at the same time that's what's going to happen when antoine richardson gets thrown out of a game you know she's on the coaching staff she's a part of all this uh you know it's not it's a big deal but it's also not a surprise uh so i guess we can start there it's just it was really cool and it was also not expected is the right word, but just it's part of the normal process. Yeah, I think that they wanted they wanted to demonstrate you know her competency and not that she's a novelty. This is not some yes. sort of just just a trick to to, to look um, you know like you're um, uh, I don't know like I hate using the word woke or whatever, but it, it, it's not just something to do to garner attention. It's it's really valuing her contributions to the staff and, and the ways that she has grown as a coach. And part of that is, you know, I, I watch her every day during practice and she's feeding balls in the machine. She's hitting fungos. She's taking throws at bases. She's, um, I mean, she does a ton of work behind the scenes, you know, as a runner in the dugout, uh, making sure that people know, you know, what pitcher they have to get ready to face. And you know, a lot of their success uh, from the pinch hitting side, uh, she had a lot to do with that, um, with being a go-between in different parts of the staff, including the analytics analytics staff you know she goes through and, and she um all the cards that you see she's the one who has to you know cut them up and get them ready and organize them along with nick ortiz so there's a lot of stuff that she does on this staff and um but the thing is most of it's not visible and so the fact that she got to go out on the field in front of tens of thousands of fans and be literally visible um was i think important and i asked her that question does she think that visibility is important she said yes but at the same time she was ready for that that's not something that she was thrown into and she wasn't prepared for so you know it's um i think it's 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 a great moment for the visibility of it but I mean, she's been a pretty valued member of the staff for, you know, going on her third year now. So that's important to note, too. A feature idea that I've had since my days at SB Nation, we're talking, I've, I've thought about this for a decade because I have been watching baseball since, uh, you know, the early 80s. And I really don't have a firm grasp on what a first base coach actually does. Like, it just, they're there. I know they're important. 
I just, I don't know exactly, like, I, I can't point to why they are explicitly important. Uh, tell me, do you have an answer to my, my mystery? This is ignorance on my part, so I'm hoping you can just uh, make me less ignorant. Yeah, I mean, one thing that they do on the field is they'll give the pitcher's times um, to the runner. Um, they'll help to relay signs, although a lot of that comes from from third base as well. Um, mostly, it, it's it's base running at that point. I mean, obviously, you're not waving anyone around first base, but um, although they they could signal if a ball gets away uh, to a runner coming down the line. Uh, but for the most part, uh, the, the information that they're relaying on the field is usually a pitcher's times um, or or you know what moves a pitcher has, etc. Just to remind them. Sometimes it's just reminding them how many outs there are or or what the game situation is or this is how aggressive you need to be, um, you know, on a base hit up the middle or something or this is what the outfield arms are like, you know, um, just a reminder of the scouting reports that these guys have probably read and, and maybe partially forgotten or haven't been super sticky. So, and then most of the work that they do is, is, is really before the game or in spring training or, or what have you, when, you know, Antoine Richardson does a ton with positioning, you'll notice him on the top step of the, um, of the dugout. Uh, and he's always signaling to the outfielders. He usually has a clipboard in his hand, uh, because they've got so much data now on, on where guys hit the ball. And so, mm. Um, you know, if you watch him, he's very active. He's probably even more active uh, in the innings when the Giants are in the field uh, than when they're um, at the plate. And I would say that most first base coaches, or a lot of them, probably do take on outfield duties, outfield positioning duties, outfield drills, base running. That tends to be how the duties get uh, kind of delineated, but not always. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's sort of a start. Okay. You know, because I coach first base a couple times a week for a seven, eight-year-old softball team, and I uh, mostly get them to pay attention and to uh, make sure that they're watching the, the pitcher pitch. So he's not doing that, right? He's not like telling Brandon <laughs> Belt to watch the pitcher. Well, I don't know. In Brandon Belt's case, maybe it might come in handy every now and again. But, uh, but yeah. Okay, so this is a good segue into Antoine Richardson. I, I think you've talked about this on KNBR quite a bit, and uh, the story ended almost as quickly as it began. But I, I just think with the Mike Schultz thing and the, the kerfuffle that happened, uh, a very good way not to get uh, into that mess is to not point to another human being and say, control that MF. Uh, that is just going to you know, prevent all these kind of miscommunications uh, right from the start. Just don't do that. I won't do it to you. If you promise not to do it to me, we'll just end up not making that mistake. Yeah. And I guess maybe just to back up for dear listeners that, that weren't familiar with what happened. So, I mean, the Giants won big. They they absolutely uh, uh, boat raced you, Darvis, in the, in the first inning. They're up, uh, what was it, uh, 11 to 1 or 10 to 1 or something in the second inning. And Stephen Duggar still second base. And he hears some chirping from the uh, Padres dugout. And of course, the giant person in uniform that is closest to the Padres dugout is Antoine Richardson in the first base coaching coaching box. And you might say, well, come on, that's ridiculous. It's the second inning. And yeah, it's the second inning. Um, so yeah, could you say the Padres were out of line there? I mean, you know, maybe look, we'll get to that whole discussion, but yes. um, they, were, they weren't happy. So, you know, an inning or uh, later, uh, the Padres finish their uh, visiting half, and Schilt is is walking back to the Padres dugout, but he's looking in the Giants dugout, and Antoine Richardson catches his eye, and and Antoine had just heard them chirping, you know, the inning before, and so he said, "Who who are you looking for? Can I help you?" And uh, you know, were his motivations completely a hundred percent to be a very helpful human being in that moment? I you can yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we only have one version of that story, but anyway. He wasn't saying anything that was mean. He certainly wasn't saying MF or anything like that. 
But uh, Schilt said it. He was looking for Alex Wood. Well, it turns out he and Alex Wood go way back to um, when Alex Wood was a kid. Uh, he was oh. one of his youth league coaches, I guess, from from what I understand. So my presumption here, and this is my presumption, is he basically wants to catch the eye of someone that he knows, and basically wants to say, "Get your team in line." You know, um, I don't know that for certain, but that's what I assume was his motivation. Well, anyway, things get a little bit heated, and. Uh, um, Gabe Kapler comes out to defuse the situation, and Greg Gibson, the umpire, is nearby. And uh, Schilt starts walking back, and as he's walking back, he references Antoine Richardson while directing his comment to Kapler and says, you better control that MFR." And so this is a white coach telling a white manager to control his black coach. And you can hopefully understand why Antoine Richardson was immediately uh, set off by that. And uh, so he goes to, he goes up to the top step and he says, excuse me. And that's when Greg Gibson ejected him. And uh, I, I did f- um, talk to Greg Gibson the next day. I went over to the umpire's room and he declined comment. He said, come over anytime that you want to talk about a rules uh, um, interpretation or a call on the field. But ejections, I put it in my report, and that's it. I don't comment on it. So I, I got a hold of the league, and a league official told me that basically what happened was Gibson let it go the first time, and then when, when Richardson stepped on the field the second time, uh, he ejected him because that's what you do with when coaches continue an argument after, they're being, after they've been warned. And he said he didn't hear any of the language. So he didn't hear the fact that the language was Schultz saying mf and Antoine Richardson saying, excuse me. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that doesn't sound like the guy who was ejected should have been ejected. Uh, but that's uh, that's what Gibson did. And he didn't hear the words. He just saw that the argument was continuing. So Richardson got ejected. That's why Alyssa Nacken went out to coach first base. And then after the game, um, we had finished with Gabe Kapler. We had finished uh, in the clubhouse. All the questions were about the Giants and the unwritten rules and the fact that they're going to continue playing hard to the last out, no matter how many people it ticks off. In addition to Stephen Duggar's uh, stolen base. In the sixth inning, you had Mauricio Dubon bunting for a hit, which really set the Padres off. Um, and then we got called back down after we were already back in the press box and Antoine Richardson wanted to talk to us and he wanted to tell us exactly what happened and he relayed the story as as I just told it and said that you know he thought that that was um, uh, reeked of um, undertones of racism and he thought that was wrong and so that was uh, that was the, that just added another very very explosive obviously layer to what was already a pretty tense game and a pretty crazy day. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Yeah, it was <laughs> when you put all of the storylines together, it is, it, you know, look, at, obviously uh, Richardson and Schultz, uh, they they made amends publicly uh, in front of the cameras and talked about it uh, the next morning. So I don't think we necessarily need to belabor that. It's just, uh, boy, you, you have to understand where Richardson was coming from. Like you said, it's just it's just not a great look. And it's felt infantilizing. I've never said that word out loud, but like it just felt like, you know, you are just saying, hey, you know, get this guy. And it just it was not a great look. So I understand why he was mad. Uh, I'm glad that it wasn't like a storyline that, that dominated the rest of the series. But that was just a lot of... Uh, excitement? No, narrative? I don't even know what the right word is to pack into one game. Like, I'm still trying to process that the Giants couldn't stop hitting you, Darvish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, it just it sounds like kind of a coded version of come and get your boy. I mean, it just yeah. sounds bad, you know. And uh, whether Mike Schilt meant it that way or not, whether he subconsciously meant it that way or not, um, that's the way it came across to Antoine Richardson. And I think we're living in a time now where you call it when you see it. You know, and if you don't call it out, there's no way to um, seek some kind of action. Uh, and what he thought, uh, what he really thought was important, and why he called us back down was because the umpire ejected him. Uh, he thought that empowered uh, his words. He said that empowers a coach like Schilt to talk that way to a coach that looks like him again. And so that's why he wanted it out there. Now the next day, the Padres talking to some people off the record. They weren't happy with that. They thought that he was maybe being a little bit of an opportunist, which I don't think is quite fair, but that's the way they saw it. They thought that he should have talked to Schilt one-to-one. Obviously, we only got Antoine's side of the story that night because it was already like 1230 at night. Everybody else was gone. Um, So they did make amends. And that, to me, was a cringe show. It really was. They hugged. They said it was a teachable moment, all that stuff. But Mike Schilt basically said, Antoine has something to say. And Antoine said, I don't believe Schilt's a racist. And Schilt said, thank you. I appreciate that. My family appreciates that. Uh, it was a misunderstanding. You misunderstood what I said. And then, like, maybe 200 words later, he finally said the word, I apologize for my language. So I didn't I didn't care for that. I really didn't. I thought that was only there so that the cameras could have Antoine Richardson say, I don't believe Mike Schilt's a racist. And, you know, so I didn't write about it. I, honestly, I didn't write a word about it. Dennis Lynn, thankfully, our Padres writer did. But um, anyway, that's that's... That maybe closes the the loop on that, and and we'll see. But I think, like you said, the 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 greater uh, ramifications in terms of on field play between these two teams is is probably the fact that the Giants are out there now as a team that is not going to play by unwritten rules. Yes, and this is a subject of special fascination for me and has been for years. Like I loved in my old job just writing about whenever there was an unwritten rule uh, controversy, I would love writing about it and kind of dig into, is it silly? Is it not silly? Like what are the, what are we talking about here? And so I've written about bunting with a huge lead and I, I did this in 2014, I think. Jed Lowry did it uh, when he was playing with the A's, and he did it against the Astros, I believe, when the Astros were really bad. And the Astros took uh, great umbrage with the idea that you can bunch with a, a big lead. And I thought at the time it was just the dumbest unwritten rule because the Astros had the ability to feel the ball and throw to first where the first baseman would step on a white square and get the batter <laughs> out. And, like, that is... 
it's baseball. It's not like they're not getting a lawyer in there to get a base hit through a subpoena or something. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's baseball. You don't like it? Throw the guy out. And the same thing with Dubon. Like, he is fighting for a roster spot. He's trying to get his average up. He's trying to maybe work on something with a big lead. He might not want to do that in a one-run game. He might want to make sure he can uh, bunt for a base hit, that he has uh, the back control to do it with confidence. There are a hundred reasons why he might do that in that situation. And I don't think any of them have to do with disrespecting the Padres. The Padres could have picked it up and threw him out. Do you think there is still a line somewhere between, and the line has certainly moved, but do you think the line there's still a line somewhere between playing hard and playing fair and just what is considered unsportsmanlike? I think that there is a line there, but I don't think it ever involves bunting for a hit. I really don't. I mean, if you are going to shift on uh, Dubon, uh, you were telling him, we think this is the best way to get you out. We are making a calculated judgment to get you out. You, the batter, we want to prevent you from doing your job. And the batter, I think, has the right to say, well, I'm still going to do my job in a way that counteracts that. I just don't think that it has anything to do with sportsmanship. It's just it's still within the boundaries of the game, whether it's a one-run lead or a 12-run lead. And so would you also say that it's sportsmanlike if you are Jock Peterson or Wilmer Flores and Will Myers is lobbing in 60-mile-an-hour uh, meatballs that you should just absolutely swing out of your heels and swing for the fences in the ninth inning when you're up 10 runs? 100%. 100%. Yeah. I just, you, you, if you've got someone like Will Myers out there, that other team has made a very specific decision that we are punting the rest of the game, we're saving our bullpen, we're giving you this guy... And at that point, at the very, very least, it's fun to hit a home run. It's fun to hit a very, very long home run. Uh, It just seems like just a wild amount of fun to hit a ball over the fence. But also, these statistics count towards arbitration awards. They they count on their, they never go away from the baseball reference page. But it's it's also, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to, in a game without a clock, just, you know, uh, lay the bat down? Is that the honorable thing to do? Is just uh, fake swing three through Will Myers just to get the game over? That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. I think anything other than playing the game the way it should be played and the way you know how is an offense to the game. It's a, it's offensive to the Padres if the Giants are going to stop trying. I think that's the last thing they should want. So I think you made a good point there. And this is a point that a lot of people who are who are aligned with Gabe Kapler uh, mention, which is, you know, it's a lot easier and you can run up the score, so to speak, in games that have clocks, football, you know, basketball, you hear like the high school football team that, that wins 86 to nothing. And you're like, oh gosh, that doesn't seem very sportsmanlike. But <laughs> in baseball, there's no clock. There's there's absolutely no clock. There is there is no truly running up the score because you either make an out or you don't make an out. And the other team could go off to infinity and, and score an infinity number of runs uh, um, potentially, which obviously is, we're talking about um, not something that's based in reality, but um, you know, it, it's 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 a point that 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 will be made by people who believe that you should just play hard all the time. Um, I would say that, and I've made this argument um, when I talk about baseball steroid era and cheating. Uh, we have these notions if, uh, that that baseball is a gentleman's game, and it's not. If it was a gentleman's <laughs> game, there wouldn't be all of the cheating and sign stealing and all the stuff that goes on. It's not golf. It's never been golf. So, you know, to sort of put a golf analogy on it, if you're playing match play, uh, if you watch match play on TV, half the time those the other guy doesn't even hole out the putt. They just concede it all the time. You know, hmm. they'll concede anything within three feet, uh, um, and so. 
you think, well, the, the easing up is kind of like that. You're just saying, okay, you know, th- this result is known. Let's move on for the sake of sportsmanship. I'm not going to make you putt that out, you know. Uh, so I think that's sort of where um, uh, the notion is coming from that, you know, you, you ease up a little bit. Just for all of our sake, it's a long, long season. I'm not here to embarrass you. Uh, as your opponent, I respect you. But, I mean, This is a notion that was created a long time ago by people whose opinions are fairly from one, you know, from one perception or persuasion, and it didn't include the opinions of people who couldn't even play the game uh, or or weren't allowed to to have an opinion that mattered. So, you know, I, I just think that. Um, it's a fallacy to think that these are durable, these notions of sportsmanship. I think the line does move. Now, I, I still think there should be a line there. I, I, I don't think Dubon should have bunted. I don't. And I know that um, I, I may be in the minority of, of the people who are listening, but I still think he could have tried uh, his hardest to get a hit. And, and Will Myers made a point. He said, you know, he's going to develop more skills trying to get a conventional hit than by bunting there. And you could argue that. You could argue that, you know, hey, this is a skill. It's part of his game. He's working on that just like he'd work on, you know, trying to hit a double off the wall. But I think when you're up that that much, it, it, it didn't, even if he didn't mean to be rubbing it in, I think that you got to understand that your opponent could see it that way. And so, yeah, I... To me, I thought Dubon should have tried to get a hit the conventional way. But, you know, it's, again, the line is moving and everyone is going to set it in a different spot. Or if you're Gabe Kapler, you just want to completely erase it. So it's uh, it'll be fascinating to see what happens because I don't think that if this is a team-wide mentality, and I don't, I'm sure that they're not universal in, in believing this is the way to go, but they, I think a majority are on board. So if this is a team-wide mentality, how are you going to plunk somebody? How are you going to? Uh, how is there going to be retribution in the traditional sense? Which let's get let's make this clear should be out of the game. I mean, it's ridiculous that people are still hitting people uh, in the year 2022. But you know, you know that that is the prevailing culture still, and you know that those are going to be some of the um, ramifications. So, but how are you going to do that when everyone on the team is buying in on this? Maybe this is how that changes. Yeah, I will say that I'm with you. If I were Dubon in that situation, I would. But specifically because I wouldn't want to get, I don't know, Mike Yastrzemski uh, plunked in the butt or something like that. Like it just the the reward wasn't there. Uh, the risk was. And that's why I personally wouldn't have done it. Once he does it, I just would hope the other uh, the Padres just go, OK, that's corny. But, you know, we're OK, let's let bygones be bygones. I think what people don't uh, appreciate when it comes to this sort of stuff is we say it's a game without a clock and we have, uh, okay, so the Giants were up, I, I can't remember, were they up by nine? Is that Was that the margin? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, 11 to two maybe. <sighs> okay, so you can take it to the extreme position where uh, it was less than a year ago, May 9th, the Padres scored 11 runs against the Giants. They are capable of scoring nine runs. They're capable of scoring 10 runs. And maybe this is the game where it becomes their Mariners, uh, you know, Indians game where they come back and and it's memorable and you remember it for the rest uh, of your life because it was such a great comeback. But also what you, you have to remember is that if the Padres just make it uncomfortably close that changes how Gabe Kapler is managing now okay now I'm getting McGee up or now I'm getting uh, Duvall out for his second game Uh, you know you have to sort of manage a much different way rather than let's get Tyler Beatty some work that's the goal of the Giants in that point it's just let's now we get to get Beatty out there we don't have to throw our relievers in high stress situations and if 
tacking on extra runs helps them get there, that's really important. It's not just about the Padres catching them and winning the game. It's about them getting even uncomfortably close. And that happens a lot more often than like overtaking in the grand comeback. It's that sort of thing happens fairly regularly through a season where, okay, we thought we had this in the bag, but now it's, okay, now we got to do this and now we got to get this pitcher in. And that's what the Giants are trying to prevent. And I think that that is a, a good goal for them to prevent that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 trying to take more control over attrition, uh, both mm. on your side and on the opposition side and valuing that and, and what it means over a long season. And if you see an extra reliever, you might it might help you the next day. You might see someone different who's further down their pecking order tomorrow. I mean, I, I get it. I get what they can maybe even try to quantify as an advantage. But as you as you mentioned, um, you know, you reach a point where and it, it, people shouldn't react this way, but we know that they will. Uh, that you know, someone could get thrown at and benches would clear. And we don't need to look far back in Giants history to see a career that ended in a bases, uh, benches clearing brawl. Mike Morse's last act on a baseball field was to crack skulls with Jeff Samarja um, you know, during the Bryce Harper, uh, um, Hunter Strickland uh, melee. So, I mean, y- there are real risks. There are real people have gotten hurt in these things. And, you know, I, I think you do reach a point where the risk, even though the risk shouldn't be there, it shouldn't exist, you know that it still does. Um, uh, so it, you reach a point where the risk is just not worth the potential reward. And I think that that's going to be something that'll be a feeling out process, even for the Giants, even as resolute as Gabe Kapler is. And, you know, I, I called him a dogmatic dreamer in my article, and <laughs> he finished his uh, his session prior to um, uh, Wednesday's uh, game. And, and then he stopped and he walked up to me and he held out his hand and he said, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm the dogmatic dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, um, okay. And he said, he said he was just being playful. And I told him, I said, I know you're being playful. However, I will say, what I do appreciate about Gabe Kapler is generally he's not dogmatic. He's someone who sees a lot of nuance in things. He's not somebody who is an absolutist. But here... He is being an absolutist. He's saying that I don't want there to be any line whatsoever. I want everyone to play hard all the way through, and I don't care what the consequences are. And I don't know how wise that is. I think that you do have to dial it back at some point where it makes sense. Yeah, that is fair. It's it's a, it's a matter of what you want the ideal to be versus what the reality is. And I baseball culture can change really, really fast where you have Clayton Kershaw throwing seven perfect innings, getting pulled with 80 pitches and then being like, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Uh, I just, it, it's worked. It makes sense for the team. It makes sense for me going forward. Uh, yeah, I'm on board. And I'm assuming that if he were 21 or when he was 21, he would have quibbled with that quite a bit more. Like, no, you know, let me go out there and get it. Like, but the culture of baseball has made it. So you make these pragmatic decisions and all of a sudden, everyone's kind of on board. You're not going to see uh, Tim Lincecum throwing 148 pitches uh, to get his no-hitter anymore. And so that's how baseball culture can change. Maybe this is the start of everyone going, okay, what are we doing? Are we really going to throw projectiles at someone because they bunted in a place we didn't like or because they swung at a 3-0 pitch uh, you know, with the bases loaded when they were up uh, by, by a bunch of runs? Like, Are we really... I think that the correct response is to roll your eyes. The correct response is maybe to chirp a little bit and go, okay, that is just uncouth. That is, that's gross. You're annoying, boo. Uh, but throwing projectiles, getting people hurt, 
I'd like to think that that's on its way out. And I don't know, maybe this is the first step in that. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what ends first, hockey fights or beanball wars. But <laughs> I'm guessing beanball wars. Hockey fights seem like they're pretty durable. But, um, you know, it is it is interesting, I think, to, to see the Kershaw situation play out. It was his first start, right? He And he pivoted in a very brilliant way. He said, basically he said, blame Rob Manfred. Blame the lockout. Blame me not knowing what to do for three months. But, you know, he's, he's, he's coming off. Um, you know, a PRP injection in his pitching arm. He didn't throw a ball for a couple months. I, I understand why, you know, discretion uh, was took the better part of, of valor, if I use that phrase right, um, in that situation. But I think, you know, a month or two from now, then he would have gone for it. And and, and I, I do hope that, you know, medical situations like this aside, managers do let guys go for those um, no-hitters and those per- especially perfect games. Because, I mean, this is as much as everything has gotten super, super efficient. And maybe, you know, emotion is an inefficiency, but entertainment is still why we're here. It's still an entertainment product. And fans want that memory. They want that memory created for them of watching Clayton Kershaw throw a perfect game. Bruce Bochy knew what that memory meant, not only to the paying customers, but to Tim Lincecum himself, to the team. That's why he let him throw 148 pitches. It's like, I'm going to let him go until he gives up a hit. And that's the way it always was because they understood the value of you know what it meant from an entertainment standpoint uh, what it meant from you know for for someone to have that memory in their career and none of those things are efficient to help you win a game you know nobody in the analytics department is going to go well we're going to get you know plus 0.2 war if if he finishes off this um, no hitter because of the lift it's going to give the team i mean that that's that, that's just sort of you know not calculated at all in how people make decisions as a front office and, and increasingly on the bench but i i hope it doesn't disappear because those memories are why we're here. That's why we're doing this. There will still be a time and place for that. Yeah, I, I think it's just the idea that someone can get pulled after seven innings because of reasons where I think there was a mentality of you were never, ever, ever going to pull this guy, even if he's Johan Santana uh, and you're worried about his durability because the Mets have never had a no-hitter. I think like there are going to be nuances more than there there would have been in the past. But I, I still think that baseball, the culture can change. And I think that the unwritten rules, I listen, I've said this on the podcast before, I'm almost certain, uh, but we have doubled our audience. We've gone from four listeners to eight. So I just want to reiterate <laughs> that I, I think a very uh, tidy solution would once a game, the home plate umpire could just give like a firm spank on the butt and just say like, hey, knock that off and each team gets like one card to play like if if you don't like what a player did just one firm womp and that's it no bean balls i I think it would keep people healthier and it would uh increase the entertainment value and the a's designated spanky would be catcher (laughs) sean murphy and his couldn't take it (laughs) (laughs) what what a point to literally end on Oh, literally ends. That is good. All right. This has been episode 178 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. We'll be back on Monday and maybe we'll talk about Logan Webb. I don't know. That might be a topic that we hit on Monday because he's pretty darn good. And there was so much baseball packed into the last three days. We couldn't even do So just real quick, just uh, explain that Logan Webb is good. Just say those words and I think that'll cover it. Logan Webb is good. Also, um, um, the, the little Farhan meme where he's holding up the sign that says horny. That definitely yes. applies when the two pitchers you signed, Carlos Rodon and Alex Cobb, combined to strike out 22 in 10 innings in their first starts. I mean, yeah, we got 
got a lot to t- more we can talk about next time. All right. So we will be back on Monday. And thank you for listening. And we will see you then.